morning. You guys are doing well. Um, it's good to be here. It's always good to be here with you guys. Uh, we are in a series, uh, as you saw, it's a series called The Fight of Our Lives. Um, I just want to say, I hope that you guys, uh, if you haven't been able to, um, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, that you've had the chance to kind of go back and, and catch up. This is not a series that necessarily builds on, on each other, but it is something that each of the pieces are important to the whole uh, as we look at this idea that um, you know, we do walk in these two worlds. Uh, one is the physical world that we're all very aware of, but we're also walking in the spiritual world. And it's a hard one to navigate because you can't see it. And yet God gives us some instructions and some insight into what goes on there so that we might uh, still um, be able to, just as we walk through it, to make sense of it. And part of it is that there's a battle going on. And so we're looking at, you know, what is that battle that's happening all around us in this spiritual world? What does it mean in our lives? How do we prepare for it? How do we protect? How do we make sure that we're not just trying to avoid it or survive it, but that we're actually uh, in this work with God, taking ground in it. And um, so that's what we've been looking at the last several weeks. We're in our uh, third week of this, and um, we're gonna be looking at a thing today uh, called righteousness. So, um, you know, when Jesus was in the last moments with his disciples, uh, they're on the, the Mount of Olives, He's looking out over them, and he's, he, this is after the resurrection. It's just prior to him uh, ascending back into heaven. And he turns to them, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, we're doing this thing again. Um, I'll try just not to move my head. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go. Go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Now, in the closing moments of these uh, 1982 Steven Spielberg uh, <laughs> blockbuster called E.T., um, which whether you know it or not, this was a movie that was actually modeled after the life of Jesus, complete with a death and a resurrection, but in that movie, E.T. is about to just head off into the heavens as well in his spaceship, and he turns to one of his young followers, and he essentially, he says, in a famous line, he says, be good, right? Do you guys remember that? If you saw it, be good. And uh, essentially what he's doing there is he's summarizing what many of us assume that Jesus meant by his last words to his disciples. Be good, and as you're going out, teach other people to be good, because it seems that Jesus is very interested in this idea of what does it mean for us to be good and how can he make sure that we're being good. And there are other places in the New Testament where Jesus seems to reinforce this idea that one of his primary interests for us is that we learn what it means to be good. One of those is in a passage we're gonna look at today. So stand with me. We're going to look at Matthew chapter five, verse 17 through 20. This is in a, a section called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus is talking about, again, this thing called righteousness, this thing about what does it mean to be good. And so he says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then 
negates one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others to do the same, they shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever observes and teaches them, same words, observes and teaches them, shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're in this series on, on spiritual warfare, talking about this, what we would say is really the fight of our lives. In Ephesians 6, it's telling us about these various pieces of equipment that God has given to us that we will need to fight this battle. And one, the second one of these, we looked at truth last, last week, the second one of these is called the breastplate of righteousness. And so the question that comes up often in our mind is, okay, what is What is righteousness? Is it just talking about what it means to be good? Because that's how we often take it. And there is an aspect of it. But is there more to it than that? Is there more to this thing than just being good the way that God wants us to be good? And is there something also, because we've, we've said that we want to look at this, not just in terms of us as individuals, but is there something for us to understand as a community? Is there something for us to learn as God's people about what it means to live in a righteous way, not just individually, but with each other as well. So today's message, today's message is going to be titled, In Good Company. Amen? Amen. Father, this morning, uh, we're going to need to hear from you again. Uh, as we look at our lives and we look at the world around us, it seems that we are very far from this thing even what little we might know about this thing called righteousness. There seems to be a real lack or at least holes in our world when it comes to justice, when it comes to righteousness, when it comes to treating each other well and living with each other rightly. There seems to be this broken thing in our hearts that keeps us from living with you rightly and a righteousness that even between us and you in our relationship. And so, Father, you seem to have, this seems to be a big deal to you. The way that it's mentioned in Scripture, the way it's taught, and you have a lot to say about it. But we're going to need our eyes open, our ears open, our hearts open so that we can see, that we can hear what you have to say, that we can understand what you're talking about. Because it seems that we miss this thing a lot. And it really does contribute to the problems that not just we have in our lives, but the problems that we see all around us in this world. So Father, this morning, come. Come and speak to us. Holy Spirit, we give you the time and the space. This is yours. We give you our attention. Just open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts so that we can hear what you have to say. Father, plant your word deeply in us so that it not just informs us, but that it transforms us changes our perspectives, changes our lives so we look more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. We pray this for your glory. We pray this by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So when you're a kid, it doesn't take long before you realize that this being good thing seems to be a big deal, right? I mean, everybody's always telling you, be good, right? Even E.T. when he leaves, be good. Right? It's the last thing he has to say. Everybody's telling you that. They're always telling you how to be good. You know, in their eyes, this is what you need to do to be good. If you ever wondered 
<laughs> if you were being good, you know, when you're a kid, all you had to do is like when you're about to do something, you just look over at mom and dad, right? And they'd give you one of two looks. Do you remember that? And the one look meant you may proceed because that's good. The other look meant, oh, no, no, right? And, and when you got that look, do you remember that look? Do you remember how that did inside? And all of a sudden you're like, ooh, I got to figure something else out real quick. And you go, why? Why, is it, why? why was that so effective? Why just a look? Why was a look enough to turn us? And it, it, the, the reason is, is because, I mean, as human beings, basically, we are wired in a way that we, we adapt our behavior based on what's going to give us the greatest possibility, the greatest probability of being accepted by the people that are around us. And when we're kids, that's mom and dad, right? We, we want to be, okay, we need, to, we need them to be part of our lives. We need them to kind of care for us and protect us. We want to be accepted, loved, protected, provided for. And so we adapt our behavior. And so maybe, maybe it's mom and dad. Maybe it's our, our friends. Maybe it's the people that we work with. Maybe it's the people we go to school with. But we are wired to do what it takes to be good in a way that, that people, the people around us will take us in as a part of that community. So you see that this being good is tied directly to, this, to being accepted and being loved and our sense of being a part of something. Being good, and, and we associate that then, each, each group, the way they define it, they say, and this, if you're good in this way, you'll attain what we believe is the good life, right? Because being good leads to this. And so different groups have this, and that becomes the struggle for us because when we get a little bit older, usually it's around middle school, and we start looking around, and we start realizing, hey, you know, not everybody defines being good the same way mom and dad used to. We started looking around, and they seem to have a good life. I wonder what it would be, we start to wonder, I wonder what it would be to, to be accepted by them. I wonder what it would be to experience the good that they find in the life that they lead. And, and so we have this like crisis of righteousness, don't we? We start wondering, well, should I do this one or should I do that one? Should I listen to mom and dad or should I listen to these, this group over here that's saying something really different? And then at some point, some point we come to realize, you know, God, it seems like God might actually be real, that he's not just some kind of bedtime story. He's not a figment in my imagination. That Jesus, it seems, is more than just you know, some alien ET that got left by a spaceship when he was you know, looking for flowers and got picked up later. You know, that there's something very real to this, this God story. And we say, I wonder what it would be like to be loved by him. I wonder what it would be like to be accepted by him and, and to, to learn what he means by being good, what he means by a good life, right? Well, Jesus is telling us that. He's telling us that in Matthew 5. He's telling us what God means by being good, what God means by doing what it takes to attain the life that he intended for us, that he created for us and he created us for. And so he starts out and he says, he reminds us of the law. The Torah is in the Old Testament. It's the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They were considered the Torah, the law of Moses. And in those books, there's 613 commandments. And, and so if you want a summary of what God says, this is what it means to live rightly according to God. Just read through the Torah. You read the events and the stories that, that kind of flesh out what, what this life looks like to live a life um, that's right before God. 
He also, Jesus, he, he says that, you know, and every so often he reminds us that every so often God would send his prophets in to remind people of the Torah, to remind them of these commandments and of these stories and to kind of explain them, expound on them. And so if you want a summary, you start in the Torah and you read that and then you, you read past that. You read the books of the history and the books of the writings of the prophets because they, they expound and explain what these first five books, what they were talking about. And as God would call them back to this life that he called right and righteous. And then Jesus says, in Matthew 5, he says, and you know what? I didn't come to negate any of that. I didn't come to, to nullify any of that. In fact, I came to fulfill all of that in the law and the prophets. I come to complete that so that you can get even, uh, an even more complete and comprehensive picture of what God was talking about. And then he says this. He says, and unless your righteousness surpasses that of this, this group in Jesus' day called the Pharisees who were living it out and this group that gave themselves to studying it called the scribes, unless your righteousness surpasses that righteousness, he says, you're not even gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. You're not even gonna know that life. You're not gonna be able to even reach that life that God intended. And you're going, man, that is a, that's a high bar, right? And especially if you know who the, the scribes and the Pharisees were. So the scribes, the scribes are this group of guys back in Jesus' day, and they, all that they did, all that they did was study, and, and they dug into this, this Torah the, that, so that they could know it, that they could better understand and better define what it meant to follow the commands of God. And they did all this study so that this group called the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, their name literally meant those who have separated themselves out from the rest of society so that they might, they might pursue the righteousness of God. They separated themselves out from common people by this extreme way that they pursued the righteousness of God. So the scribes are studying to find out what it is and how to do it so that the Pharisees might know so they can live it at this extreme level that they pursued this righteousness. And the reason they did it, they didn't do it to brag, even though that tended to be kind of a uh, outcome of it, right? They didn't do it to condemn others, even though that's what they tended to kind of come out of it as well. But they did it really in their heart. They were doing it so that they might be good enough, that they might be righteous enough that God would be pleased and he would bless Israel again. He would again bless his people and bless the world through his people. So they even had right intentions about this. And that's all they did. They gave themselves to this. And you look at that and you go, well, what in the world then did Jesus mean that our righteousness has to surpass that, right? Who has the time for that? Who has the focus for that? Who has just the, the, just the kind of perseverance to do that? I mean, that's it's an incredibly high bar. And that's really why most people, when we get to this verse, you don't, you don't hear a lot of... <laughs> You don't hear a lot of messages come out of that passage. And the reason is because we look at it and we go, well, that's, that's kind of, that's ridiculous. It, it, it must have been Jesus making an overstatement, you know, just kind of making a hyperbole to get us to pay attention. But he couldn't possibly have meant that. We don't even really understand what he meant by that. But how, how is that even possible? But in that, 
I think that if we, if we kind of breeze over it that way, I think we miss something. Because I, I really do believe that Jesus was saying something very important for us to understand about what God is looking for when he talks about righteousness and what Ephesians is talking about is what is the righteousness that we will need if we're going to be protected in this war, in this battle that goes on in the heavenly realms. So we're in a series on that, on that battle. We're in this series um, on this uh, spiritual warfare. And we saw last week that, that the first item that is mentioned is this thing called truth. And we need to be girded with truth. We need to be girded up with truth. It needs to be fit right. It needs to be strong enough that it protects us in that midsection. But then Paul moves on, moves on to his second, kind of the second element. And he says, and it's also gonna be important that you have this thing called the breastplate of righteousness. Learning what righteousness is and having the right righteousness in your life, you're gonna find protects you in a spiritual way in the same way that an, an a soldier is protected when they go to the front lines of their battle in the first century, these Roman soldiers, and they have this chest protection. It's that necessary. If you're on the battlefield and you take a sword to the chest and you don't have any protection, your day's done. Your life's done. That's, that's over. You're out of the battle. You're not just out of the battle. You're not going home, right? And he says it's that important. And so we go, okay, so, so what is he talking about? Well, one of the things that we find is just like with, with truth, we said it had to fit well. It can't be something, if you wear something into battle and it just kind of, it, it keeps you from actually moving in the way that you need to move. It keeps you, it hinders your movement. That's no good, right? If you're wearing something in battle and it actually hurts you worse than if you didn't have it on, that's no good. But often when we find the righteousness, the way that people talk about righteousness we find that that's exactly what some of these schemes that we come up with that they do, right? You have these, this list of rules that can't possibly be, be kept. And it's so many, and they just they tie us up. They tie us up with guilt and with shame and with just being overwhelmed. They, they, just, they make us want to check out, and they take us out of the battle because they like tie us up and throw us off to the side. We're no good, right? We can't move in it. Or... It becomes something that it becomes something that they don't tie us up, but maybe they just they're the very thing that just beat us down. I mean, we're just before we even get to the battle, we're a heap because of all these rules that they said you're failing here and 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 and don't forget this and this and you're failing here and you're failing here and you're failing here and here, right? You guys ever have that voice going on in your head? And you're not going in the battle; you're like a heap. You're like over on the side, just beat up. That's not, a good, that's not a good breastplate, right? It's not fitting very well. It's not allowing you to move or else it's actually becoming the problem. The other thing is the, is the righteousness. It needs to be strong enough to actually protect some of those vulnerable parts of our lives. That's what a breastplate does. And righteousness does the same. Um, so here, here we are. And we find that if this righteousness, sometimes we come up with a scheme and we say, this is what it means to live rightly, right? This is what it means to do good. But the things that we list out, they actually hurt us in the long run, right? They're not strong enough. We may, we may pay attention to this one area, you know, and we say, I got this part all covered. But then these parts are like wide open because our scheme, our whole scheme of righteousness, it leaves these holes. And it may leave holes, you know, we're really strong in like relationships, but we're horrible like in finance and health. And what takes us out in our life? 
It's not the things we're good at, it's the things that we just have these massive holes and we just get wiped out, right? So our finances fall apart, our relationships fall apart, and then it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter what the other thing is. So we have these major things, and especially when it comes to this relationship with God, righteousness includes that whole area. It protects that. It's like, what if everything else is good in our life, but a relationship with God is just completely out to lunch? Well, then it doesn't matter how well you're doing in the rest of your life. Because that's the thing that blows you apart. You know, <clears throat> I told you that uh, one of the things that each of these, we find that these, these, um, these armor pieces, they, they protect us in very specific ways sometimes. They protect us from these schemes, these specific schemes that Satan has that he, he throws at us in our life. And, and there are ways that, that this, this breastplate that it does that. And so the scheme that, you know, Satan comes at us and he knows that if he can get one part of our life to unravel, like if your health unravels, you know, if you're just laid up in bed because you haven't, you haven't paid attention to the ways that God has told you to live healthy, okay, and that lays you out, well, it doesn't matter how well you're prepared to do and you're, you know, in some of the other areas, that, that's what takes you out. Right? If he can cause chaos in one area of our life, it can destroy our lives. Right? And so righteousness has to be comprehensive enough that it covers everything. Well, um, that becomes a problem, doesn't it? Because what we're saying is that our, our habits, our choices, our values, all that kind of stuff, it's, it's put in place. It's not there so that we can brag. It's actually there so that our lives will be protected from that kind of chaos and and decay. And, and so God wants us to have the best breastplate possible, the most comprehensive, the strongest that we can get. Our problem is this, is that when we look at the, the, the breastplate, the righteousness that we tend to cobble together in our lives, it's terrible. We're failing, right? We just have like huge open areas that aren't, we, we can't pay attention to everything. I was saying earlier um, um, that it's kind of like that, you know, that that uh, old game, there was this old game called Whack-A-Mole. You know, it had like five holes and you try and hit the mole when it would pop up. But you know, if you, if you just sit there covering one hole, great. But he's gonna pop up the other four. You know, it, it doesn't care if you have the one covered because it's gonna pop up somewhere else. That, that tends to be our way. We, we tend to say, well, I'm really good at taking care of this and this and this in my life. But there are these other open holes that just, that just tear me apart. And and uh, what we find is that the Pharisees found that out too. Paul, who actually wrote, uh, that, who wrote this book of Ephesians that we've been looking at, he was a Pharisee. He says, you know what I found is that we're, we're terrible. We fail at keeping those 613 laws of the, of the law and the prophets. We just, we're dropping the ball every time we turn around. We may have like 500 of them maybe even that we, we keep. That's really doing well. But then there's 113 we're missing. And he says that, that in itself, it just causes our lives to just kind of fray out and disintegrate. And so in that, we find that, you know, when we have these holes in that, that breastplate that, listen, the battle's real, right? The enemy's relentless. And if our, if our armor isn't up, up to what it should be, we take a hit. And so we find people all around us and we find in our lives, we're constantly taking a hit. And you guys, that is the story of this broken world. That's the story of broken humanity. That's the story of our broken lives in this broken world. 
is that our problems are not, you know, this is one of the first things that's said in Ephesians 6. It said, our battle's not against flesh and blood. Our problems are not because everybody's causing problems for us, right? That's not our biggest issue. Our biggest issue is that we do not have the protection we need. We don't have a scheme in place in our lives so that we are protected in a way from everybody else's chaos or from the chaos that's thrown in from the spiritual world. That's our problem. Our righteousness, our breastplate is not good enough. So you say, well, what's the, what's the answer to that one? Well, if you've been reading along in Ephesians 6, as we've been going through uh, this, this series, you know that the armor that it talks about there is not ours, right? When it, in verse 11, what it says is it says, put on the armor of God. Why? Because our armor isn't good enough. We do have holes. We have problems. We have, we drop. Yeah, so put on God's armor so that you can stand firm against the schemes of the evil one. So that means this isn't about, this isn't about coming up with your own best idea of what it means to live you know, to do good. It's not, it's not learning how to live in a way that, you know, so that you're, you're living according to the way that your mom and dad said, this is what it takes to do good. It's not even learning how to do all the 613 laws out of law and the prophets. That's not even how we find this thing called righteousness. Because even that, I mean, that's, that's just futile. Instead, having a righteousness that Jesus is talking about, he says, having a righteousness that surpasses even a group like the, the scribes and the Pharisees. Some of the most righteous people this world has ever seen, right? If we're gonna have a righteousness that is more than that, it's going to require that God somehow instills his own righteousness in us. Because his is the only righteousness that's comprehensive. His is the only righteousness that's strong enough, that fits well, allows you to move, gives you that kind of freedom and flexibility, but it still has the protection so that you're not open to disintegration and chaos. Romans 3.23, or Romans 3.21 through 24, it says this. So now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, has been made available. It's witnessed by the law and the prophets. So you can hold up the law and prophets and find out, yeah, this is just as good as what God's describing here, right? This is, this is the righteousness he said was coming. And he says, this is, it's the righteousness of God that is available through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. And then he says this, because there is no distinction. For all have sinned, They've fallen short of the glory that God intended. They've fallen short of that life, that coverage. They've fallen short of being what we need to be. All of us have. But we are made ready, we are made right as a gift of his grace. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, through the work that Jesus did, through the life of Jesus. We find that Jesus was the only one that lived a life and that had a scheme in place that he was able to, one, be protected from all the chaos, even protected from death at the end, right? He's the only one who said the right thing at the right time every time, who did the right thing at the right time every time. Jesus was the only one. He's the only one that had, and so God says, you know what? I'm gonna make his 
breastplate available to you. I'm gonna make his righteousness. And I'm not just gonna set it on you so it falls off again, right? Or that you take it off and you get to kind of put that on when you need it. No, I'm gonna make it so that everything else gets removed and it, gets, it becomes a part of who you are. In fact, it becomes the thing that defines who you are. It becomes just the very essence of your, your nature. And he says, all that I ask you to do, all that I ask you to do is just accept it. It's faith. Just believe, believe that I've offered it and accept it. We go, wow, that's, that sounds kind of easy, right? Sounds a little too easy. Isn't it funny how, I mean, <laughs> when it comes to scripture, sometimes we go, that sounds too easy. It's like, well, of course it's easy because that's all we can handle, right? I mean, it's like we're a bunch of kids that are in, we're just starting to learn our numbers. And God's time trying to talk about how he's made particle physics available to us. We go, yeah, but, you know, I don't understand that. It's like, yeah, of course you don't. So I've made it, but don't worry, I've made it so it works for you anyway. Well, that sounds too easy. Well, of course it's easy. Otherwise, it wouldn't be available to us, right? We will, I don't think... It may not be ever, but it's going to be a long time before we understand understand what God did, how he did it, seriously. I mean, what it took the mind of God to come up with, and we think we're going to understand it, the details? Of course not. But he's made it available. He said, it's a gift. I'll give it to you if you just accept it. He says, that's how we get the righteousness. Do we understand it? No. So really the question for us becomes, it's not, it's not do I understand how to become righteous? No, that's an equation that's too big for us. But the question instead becomes, how do I just put this righteousness of Jesus on? How does that get put on me? How can I take advantage of this gift? How can I grab hold of this gift that God's given to me? How can it become effective in my life. Well, I told you uh, before, there are, three, there are three parts to each one of these, these pieces of armor, right? There's the God part, there's the me part, there's the we part. The God part, the me part, the we part. And they all have it, and we're gonna be looking at this and all. Well, in each of these, the God part of putting on this righteousness is simply what we just said. It is just God has made it available. He did everything needed so that we would have a comprehensive righteousness that would then replace anything that we would try and put on. And it wouldn't just set on us, but it would actually become who we are. So this isn't just an armor that like, is, is on you. It's an armor that like, is infused into every fiber of, of who you are. And he said, that is the righteousness that I make available to. And it's a gift. And so the God part is he made it available as a gift and we just need to receive it. So in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, by grace, and that's a gift word, by grace, you've been saved through faith. Faith is that acceptance word. It's not something you did yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not as a result of your work so that none of us can brag about it. I didn't bring this righteousness into my life. I didn't put in place that thing that covers and protects me. I had nothing to do with it except just to receive it as a gift that came from God. If my life goes right, it's not because I'm somehow earning God's affection and attention. 
If my life goes right, it's because I have received his favor as a gift that came through Jesus and now has been so infused in me that that's all he sees in me. Jesus offers his righteousness. It it says it's such a huge change that John 3 talks about it. It's like we've been reborn, right? There, There was this one person and all of a sudden there's this rebirth and there's this whole other person. In, in James 1, it talks about it's like a seed being planted. So what's the difference between a seed and the crop? They don't even look n- nothing like each other. And he says, it's like we have become this new creation. This new, this, it was planted with a seed and also with this new thing. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, it's like the old is gone and the new is there. And that's all that's, all that's left is the new. It had nothing to do with me. I can't lose it because I did nothing to gain it except just receive the gift of God. He says, and that will, and it changes everything. It transforms us. We couldn't become good enough to do good and to be accepted by God, to be good enough, to protect ourselves, the way to enter into the life that God intended. We couldn't. It's just that God provided it. And so we say, well, how, how do we take advantage of that? How do we get a hold of that? And God says, it's simple. I've made it easy. First, we go to God and you go, hands open, right? Empty of all your agendas, empty of all your bragging, all of your saying, I deserve this because somehow I did enough to, no, you just go to God and you, for that free gift and you just, you throw all that aside. And the first thing we have to admit is, God, this breastplate, whatever it is, this righteousness, this scheme that I've had for my life, not good enough. I see that. It's not good enough. Too many holes doesn't fit right, beats me up, tears me down, whatever it is, not good enough. It, it's not, it doesn't measure up to the, the type of protection I need. And I can never, I can never measure up to that. I can never come up with a breastplate. And we just, that's the first part, just admit that. That's called confession. And, and part of that is, that's part of what it means to die to ourselves, where you just say, okay, I'm done with me. I need something else. It's going to have to be you. So we die to ourselves. We die to our, our schemes, our plans, our righteousness, all those kind of structures that we put up to try and earn God's attention and his, you know, his blessing, his favor. And we put it aside. And then it says, and in that also, that also means that then we take on this gift. But in that is, is that we yield our thinking and our lives and our directions to saying, you know what? Um, what we do, what we say, what we pursue, what we value, all that's gonna have to be shaped by you, right? So we, it's yielding our lives to him. To say, you know what? You're the director, you're the Lord, you're the leader now. I'm just, I'm gonna do my best to follow you. That's what I gotta do. And then it says, and then you just receive the gift. You just, thank you, right? And it includes forgiveness for all of our sins. You go, well, that's not fair because then we get off the hook for all the damage we've done, right? And he says, you know what though? Part of it is he's not just forgiving us, but he is also, if he's working to undo the damage in us done by others, you can bet that part of what he's taking on also is to undo the damage that we've done in the lives of others. That's not our job unless he calls us into it. And he says, this is something I need you to do to help get the work that I'm doing done. 
But it's not up to us to undo all the damage we've done either. We couldn't possibly do that. We couldn't possibly make the world a more righteous place to undo the damage than the, the evil that we've brought into it, right? And he says, so I've taken on one to forgive you for your sins, to undo the damage that's done against you, but also undo the damage that you've done through your life. And on top of that, um, you, now, you now have his love and his affection and his care and his provision and his protection. And you have this gift of righteousness of Jesus that now is not just on you, it is you. It's who you are. And so the rest of our life is not spent trying to become this thing that we're not. It's simply spent trying to align ourselves to this thing that he made us. Did you hear that? Our life in Christ is not spent trying to become a thing that we're not. If we receive this gift that we had no ability to make happen in ourselves, it, our life is then spent conforming to this person who we truly are now. Because we've been reborn. We've been remade. We've been recreated. And this is now who we truly are. So what's the me part? How do we do that? How do we do that work of then conforming? So that the outside starts looking like what the inside is. That our words and our actions start doing this. I mean, you know, a lot of times we, there's a part in, in Romans 12 that says we need to um, conform, you know, our minds need to be transformed. That's important. Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about how we have this like old man, we gotta get rid of it. This old person, this old us, old habits, old thoughts. We have to get rid of that. We have to put to death these deeds that come out of this old flesh and sinful kind of thinking. Uh, it says that we need to you know, walk in the light of God's truth. We need to make sure we don't give the devil a foothold, all of that. But one, one of the keys that we need to understand, this thing that Jesus brought us into, it's not like he just gave us gifts. That wasn't the point. He didn't want to give us just an ability to be good so he could walk off. He really wasn't giving us a, a new ability. He he really was giving us himself. He really gave us him. It's his nature, it's his spirit that took up residence in us. That was the change. That was that rebirth. That's when we became this new, we were brought into a relationship. And so growing in righteousness is really growing into our understanding of who he is and of that friendship and that relationship as we walk with him in that. We get to know him more the more we get to know him, and I can guarantee you, the more that you get to know him, and not just know about him, but know him, the more we love him. And the more we love him, the more we just let the stuff that's not like him just burn. We just want to get rid of it. We just want to shed it, and it not to be any part of our life anymore. So he says, just get to know me. See, righteousness... Our righteousness is not, true righteousness is not found in being able to do all the right things so that we're accepted and loved by Jesus. True righteousness is found in finding that place where we can be accepted and loved by Jesus so that then we have the freedom and we have the confidence to do the right things, right? We get it backwards. We think we have to earn God's love by our righteousness, when in fact we need to have God's love if we're ever gonna be able to be righteous. 
Only when, you, only when you know that you're loved and you're protected and you're held by him can you sometimes make the hard choices that you have to make to actually do the right things. Where you're not slave to everybody's thoughts, to all your fears. You can just do the right thing because you know you're covered. You know that you have that protection now. You know that you have that provision. It fits well. You can go out and you can fight that. That fight well. So what about the we part? Well, what we find is that when you start living that righteousness and you start and I start living it, and we all start, what we find is that righteousness, that life of Jesus actually becomes the very glue that holds us together as a community. And we find a new kind of community being formed because it's a community that actually is not formed around trying to get everybody to conform to what it means to be good. But it's a community that's formed around the life that actually allows us to be good. And so we can do the hard things. We can forgive people. We can let, we can know that God, God's not gonna, we're not cheated. We can't get robbed in this world. God's undone all that. Jesus has undone all that. He's the one that paid the price for any evil coming against us. Nothing, that's why like in the Old Testament where it says there's no weapon that can prosper against you. You know why? Because he's, he's undoing all that. But he's also undoing all the bad that we could. He, and we have a community that we can actually start doing the right things together. We can start sharing in a way that it seems like it's gonna put us at risk because we're no, we know we're not gonna be at risk. One, because God is with us, God is for us, and we're also with God's people, and they'll take care of us. If we start walking in this righteousness, we see this. He starts growing this community, this community of this good company, right? We find what it means to live in the goodness of God in the company of God's people that know what it means to be living in his good company. Amen?